0: Aussies love discovering new restaurants, and Open Table is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform, with more than 1 million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guests booking on Open Table spend 49% more than walk ins. Open Table's world class table management technology ensures your seats are optimised front of house to seat more diners saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. OpenTable's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first-time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local OpenTable restaurant expert to learn more. OpenTable, empowering restaurants to do what they do best.
1: Difficult. I still love her. She's 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 great. It was hard because we kind of had to fire her and repurpose her at the end of it. And you know, I kind of think back and think if that was my mum, how would I feel? And you know, how would I have felt about about firing her?
0: Raw, a podcast by Lightspeed and Poe. This is a podcast about the highs and lows of running a hospitality business. In collaboration with the Po Network, which you've come to know with the Conversation Amplified, we have frank and open discussions about the state of the industry from the best leaders in hospitality. We aim to capture the extent of how far conversations can go. Uncensored, stripped, and genuine, powerful and grounded in confidence. We unpack the unique first-hand experience from the experts tackling the very real and at times intense issues in our industry. Now let's get into today's show. Opened in 2017 by Chef Tim Christensen and close friend, Jack Leary, Alma uses the freshest and locally sourced seafood to produce a flavor-rich menu inspired by the street cuisine of coastal Mexico. Building authentic connections is a passion for the restaurant group. And because of that, all their dishes are created to share and with an awesome Northern Beaches backdrop, who wouldn't want to share a meal there? So I feel really fortunate to chat with tim christensen today on the podcast hey tim how are you good sean thanks for having me mate mate absolute pleasure especially as we kick off this series with lightspeed and poe uh, for raw um now when we talked last month it was really exciting to talk about you know how you came into the industry and obviously how um you wanted to do this restaurant with jack um the alma group uh, everything about alma is so so exciting mate but how did you start the restaurant? How did it come about? And, and, you know, why did you decide to pick Mexican to start with?
1: Well, <clears throat> I guess like, like all of us in the industry, as a young chef, I was always kind of dreaming of just of having my own restaurant, right? Constantly working on different concepts, different ideas. And even being trained in traditional French cooking, I guess I was always leaning towards like a casual Australian vibe for a restaurant. But in saying that, I also had concepts drawn up for an Italian pasta shop and even a New York style bagel outpost at one point that I wanted to put in Manly, but I just couldn't get the bagel recipe perfect regardless of what I did. So hard. <laughs> um, but I guess while I was a young chef, while I was working in any venue, I'd really study what was going on, what was working, what didn't, um, especially like relationships between owners and how they would affect the, the business themselves. And that's when I kind of fell into working into this job at an American-Mexican joint um, in Manly. And before this, my understanding of Mexi- Mexican food was super basic. Like like most Australians, I didn't really experience Tex-Mex, didn't really understand how wide and varied the cuisine was. And, and while I was working there, I was, I was given a lot of freedoms, changed the menu, put on lots of specials, kind of just grow as a chef. And I was really able to explore that cuisine and it, it kind of encouraged me to do a lot of research into what traditional Mexican food really was. And what I kind of, what I kind of found just blew my mind. Um, I started just going deeper and deeper in the, into the cuisine and, and I soon understood it was just as rich and diverse as anything we're trained in, any French or Italian. It, was, it, was, it just kept going. Um, and at this, at this restaurant, this is where I met my eventual business partner, Jack Leary. Um, and we started chatting one day and he invited me actually to come out to his mom's cafe in Wagga Wagga and design a menu for a new concept out there. They were going to try and put a restaurant on top of their existing cafe. Um, wow. this, so this all fell through DAs and, and whatnot. And, um, I think it was more of a pipe dream than anything, but, uh, me and Jack, stayed in contact we kept chatting even though we kind of moved to different different restaurants and he was real estate based just kind of working in bars um just to kind of pay the bills and i think he really hated real estate um and he kind of wanted the fun side of hospitality you know and then Mm -hmm. uh we got chatting one day and we were just talking about different concepts and i always knew that the i wanted a business partner because i see how much work was involved but i kind of I wanted someone who would complement my, my skills and bring something else to the table even though I didn't quite know what that was going to be yet um, and we just kind of hit it off and this is where we saw a growing market in contemporary casual Mexican food a complete lack of competition and just a hole in the market especially on the northern beaches in Sydney back in this was 2015. And although we didn't actually open Avalon until December 2017, we actually signed a lease in Freshwater back in early 2016 with the landlord eventually turning around and explaining to us that Freshwater doesn't want a Mexican restaurant, refunding our deposit and ripping up our lease. Wow. Um, and that's when we kind of started looking up and down the beaches, trying to find something that would suit. And we found what is now now currently Alma. Um, the place was in complete ruins broken windows, rats living in the floor. There was, it was incomplete. Like the roof was literally caving in. We had to wear hard hats as we were going in there. Um, but wow. we could see the potential in this spot. Um, and with, with some help from the landlord, we scraped together all our savings, signed the lease and started building. And, and while this was all going on, we, we kept working on this concept for you know contemporary um, Mexican food. And we just we decided we just couldn't do it justice without actually going to Mexico. So, you know, the funds were pretty short as they were, but we scraped together enough and we ended up doing four weeks over in Mexico, Mexico City, Oaxaca, and on the East Coast in Tulum. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically eating out all the best restaurants, seeing, chatting to whoever we could, talking to the young chefs and seeing what they were actually doing with modern Mexican food over there. I think we ate out at, some 36 restaurants in those four week periods wow. and we were there just not just for the food but the overall dining experience and what that kind how that equated and how that we could bring that over and what we found was just amazing it was these young chefs basically who had been trained at university with traditional techniques some french some italians um and bringing in their old recipes into this modern day cuisine and um basically every restaurant we ate at there was all degustation it was all fine dining degustation and we even now we, we kind of think back back then there was no way we could have brought that concept in its entirety entirely back to sydney it just wouldn't have worked people wouldn't have paid enough money to make it work but now you know four years down the track we're that's we're slowly moving to that and it's kind of people are kind of starting to appreciate Mexican cuisine for what it is and what it can be. Sure. And that's just what we tried to recreate back here. and that's where we're at now. We just continue to evolve.
0: Yeah. How did you um how did you come across that site that was so dilapidated and you know walk through that space and then decide that was going to be the venue? I'm sure most <laughs> most venue owners are sort of thinking, especially for their first spot, right, Tim, like, you know, mm. you don't think about, you know, rats coming in um, into a space and go, oh, yeah, like this is going to make a cracking Mexican contemporary uh, uh, restaurant. Like, how did that come about?
1: Well, the old story that people love to print is that me and Jack took a surfing trip up to Avalon <laughs> Beach for the day, which is a complete lie. It never happened. That's just, um, <laughs> but we actually were looking at buying a cafe up there at one point um, on the corner. So we were spending quite a bit of time up there and... Because we were, I guess we had all this energy and we had this, this money and we'd had our lease ripped up in front of our We We really wanted to get something, get the ball rolling and get something down. And so we, we were looking at this cafe up there, which meant we were spending you know, two, three hours every day up there just checking out the market. And eventually we got talking to one of the um, landlords up there who put us in to- touch with Lara, who was the real estate agent for all the commercial properties up there and she started showing us around the different the different spots and the first one she showed us is what is now Alma but she really didn't want us to take it cuz it was it's right on the corner it's a beautiful old heritage listed building she wanted us to take something else that would you know that that she she knew it, it would work but this one this one was kind of she showed us and she's like oh yeah, it needs a bit of work it's not going to be ready for a while but well, as soon as we saw it, it was it was done and dusted. We were we could already already picture it. We we're already on the way home drawing up plans where we can put the bar, where we can put the kitchen.
0: Um, yeah, nice.
1: And we knew it was going to cost a lot, but we were kind of we were young and gung ho and just yeah, we can make this happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And when you went to so when you went to Mexico and you did you know those thirty six venues, like what did you what? more energy did that give you for the project i mean if you go to that many different venues i can imagine that becomes exciting confusing overwhelming like all in the same hit right did it did it give you pure clarity in the kind of concept that you wanted to bring home back to northern the beaches of new south wales i think clarity is probably not the best way to put
1: it it definitely helped to expand our horizons and what we knew and I guess it gives you a, a sense of authority as well, right? Because you actually know that what you're serving and what you're bringing back is, like, I, I think even still to this day with three or four of our dishes, I've directly stolen from a restaurant we ate in in Mexico. Um, yeah. And that kind of gave us, it was almost a bit more confidence as well. And it, it gives you the story. It's, it's, it's a way we can kind of sell the brand and help the brand to evolve because I think without it, you kind of lack a little bit of soul. And our whole group Alma means soul in Spanish. You kind of you, we, we needed to have that kind of sense of, of some sort of personality to the cuisine and some story we can tell along the way. Um, and people love that. And it, it really helped me as a chef to be able to develop my techniques to suit Mexican cuisine. Um, I think without it, I, I don't know if we would be doing as well as we are now. I think we would Probably have gone down a different path with the concept. Um, yep. I think it's looking back at it now; it's probably one of the most important things we did with the brand.
0: Yeah, what do, you, what do you think you would have done with the concept if you didn't go back to Mexico? Looking back on it
1: now, oh, that's that's a great question, Sean. Um, I think... <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you think, like to be brutally
1: honest, do you think it'd be more generic as I into what th- we probably I see? I think here? it would be because when we first yeah. when we first started, we opened doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes. Um, you know, we would I think we were trying to kill ourselves at that point. I'm not sure, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure what we were thinking, but um our breakfast and lunch menu was was almost like an Australian cafe kind of vibe. And I right, guess going okay. back to my training, it was kind of super easy just to slot into you know, contemporary Australian dining it's um and I think we probably would have pushed forward with that because even though both concepts breakfast and dinner were doing really well we probably knew more about the breakfast side um, and we probably would have pushed forward with that a lot harder than we would of with the dinner side even though the dinner side was the only one actually making money back in that first year
0: Mm. yeah exactly we want to get into that a bit more in the podcast because I think it's a really important point Um, I do want to ask you before we get into that though like I always like to understand relationships in the hospitality industry, especially partnerships, and especially when those people aren't, you know, uh, a married couple or, or anything like that. Like you and Jack obviously are uh, partners in crime in regards with this particular um, this group. Like how did you know, how do you think Jack knew that you guys were, were meant to be really good business partners and have a solid foundation moving forward?
1: I don't think anyone really knows, right, until you get into it. <laughs> Like yeah. until you're into the stress so you're doing the 70-hour weeks and you've, you know, pots are flying around, there's no money and, you know, I don't um, – but I think the biggest test for us was that four weeks in Mexico. Um, I think if nothing else, it was a really, really good bonding experience between us as as business partners because there's, there's not much more stressful apart from being in a kitchen than traveling with someone, right? Especially yeah. in a country where you don't speak the language. You know, we didn't know each other very well um, and – that was a really good way that we saw like i don't think we had one we we still don't really fight me and jack we're really good at being able to come like we have disagreements but we've definitely learned over the last few years and we have had our you know our arguments but we we always try to see the other person's perspective and there's been a few things we've learned um in the last you know four four and a half years um especially about splitting responsibilities between us Mm -hmm. and it is just like a marriage right so um, at the beginning, we were both trying to do everything, double up on, on the jobs and stepping on each other's toes. And we, we had to sit down eventually and just work out, all right, this is going to be your path. You lead this one. I'm going to lead this one. You know, let, us still, let's stay in communication. Let's put the systems in place, but this way, you know, the staff know where to go. If there's a problem, the staff know, you know, this is, this is, this is, um, Tim's responsibility to look after this. It's broken. And and that, that was one of the best things we did after about the first year was just kind of splitting those responsibilities and staying in in, in our own lanes. Mm-hmm. And that's really helped us to kind of grow because we're not doubling up on anything and we can both focus on what we're good at.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is it is it hard in that in that point as well? Like I, I love when partnerships sort of end up that way and people sort of concentrate on what they're good at. Uh, but sometimes those those particular things become a bit siloed in a way. So those, you know, that you know, some people like concentrate on their own thing, but they don't even see what the other person is doing. Is it hard to then collaborate together, or do you guys set some systems to, to make sure you you both on the same page at the same time? I think I think a little bit. Um, well, we we do really try
1: to surround ourselves with good people as well, who mm. um, will bring in on that collaboration. And then there, there's certain things like I, I generally manage all the pre production stuff. And Jack will do all the post production things. But in in all that, we have our monthly meetings, concept ideas. We sit down. At, we try to do it at least once a week. Have a bite to eat, catch up. You know, like we'll never be best mates, but we are good friends. And I think it makes it makes a big difference that we can just chat open and honestly. I think in those first few years, we would talk on the phone at least an hour, two hours every day to each other. And now it's more just the weekly chat. Make sure. Everyone's happy, you know, we're on the same page. Is there anything we need to do from my end, from his end? How can we make things better? How can we keep improving? How can we keep selling the dream? Yep.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, let's take us back to the to the first venue again. Like especially because it is, you know, your first venue in in hospitality as well as Jack's. Like what's the one thing you wish you knew before starting that venue, uh, venue that you, you you know now?
1: I had had a good thing about this one, Sean. <laughs> it's good, and and I, I guess the biggest problem for me is I think even if I knew these things, I wouldn't have listened. It's um, it's oh, one of those. It's one of those. You know, I was a gung ho chef. I thought I knew everything. I, I, to the point where when I when we first opened, I I didn't even bother doing the cogs. I'd been doing cogs for three four years um, as a head chef and. You know, always knew how important it was, but then opening my own venue kind of sat down and said, oh, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need to look at the numbers. Yeah, right. Uh, that was probably one of our biggest mistakes in the first mm-hmm. year is not actually looking at the numbers and, and sitting down and making the time, I guess, to sit down and look at the numbers. You know, you're working so many crazy hours. You're just trying to get by. Um, money's coming in, money's coming out, but really to make, I guess... My biggest advice to myself, if I could look back, would be just take those two hours a week, sit down and work out the maths. And I think we would have changed the trajectory quite a bit in that first year if we did that. But, um, you know, I guess it's one of those things you don't really learn till you're in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you think you guys were just focusing on the sexy or exciting parts about opening a venue and then you didn't want to like you knew the fundamentals which was obviously cost of goods and then hiring staff and all that kind of stuff would be probably okay like do you think in in hindsight looking back to that first venue in 2017 like that that was a thought process why you weren't think about cost of goods
1: 100% i think also doing the three concepts and being open 6 days a week for you know 20 odd hours a week uh 20 odd hours a day takes a lot out of somebody and at that point we were just like, you know, staffing is always an issue. We were just struggling to get through, I think. And it was mm. making that time would have taken time out of either my family life or Jack's family life. And then that's, you know, even on those days, you, we're still sitting down and doing book work and things. So I think it was, it was, it was great to be able to focus on the sexy side, the, you know, having your own venue, having parties, um, but yeah, in 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 retrospect, I wish we would just taken those few hours every week to sit down and have a look at the numbers. Um, yeah. And I guess you know, it's you, you ha- we also had this mindset that you know we're paying all this rent, so being open for longer would equate to bigger profits. Mm. Um, which is just completely false. It doesn't mm. it doesn't work if if the numbers aren't stacking up. Just because you're open and you're busy doesn't necessarily mean you're making money. Um. I guess they're the biggest things I I took away from after sitting down and having a look was, you know, being open doesn't actually make you more money being open for longer. And sitting down and doing those two hours of mass every week is probably one of the most important parts of, of your week being an owner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's delve a bit deeper into, you know, the service periods. So obviously, like when we talked the other month, like you were, you're the one, the only one Mexican brands I can think of, contemporary Mexican brands, which would open for breakfast when they first started, right? In twenty seventeen. Now I think you did that for the first year or year and a half for memory yep, first right? First year, yep. So what why did you guys do that when it was so left of center? Was it the fact that you had, you know, sort of a high rent that you were needing to make think you could make sure you could service with a high turnover? Like what was the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah, the thinking was it would it was basically we have this fantastic spot we have you know you can almost see the ocean we have a great outdoor area um, why not utilize it for as much as we can you know if we have a have a concept that works and we have the staff it would all fall into place um, and I guess just looking at it, we were we were always busy for breakfast it was probably our, our busiest time but again just not actually looking at what we were selling and who we were selling to and I still, don't understand how cafes make money to the, to this day i don't understand how they do yeah, it because if we were even selling you know we were, we were getting up to 15 20 kilos of coffee a a week um and then you know once we eventually did the numbers and we had a look we realized we would need to be doing 40 to 45 to make it feasible um wow yeah right with the concept we, we had mm. and i guess yeah it's it's uh i, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone starting a new venue to do three services at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess the good thing about doing that is when we did eventually stop the breakfast, instead instead of being a breakfast venue who brought in dinner, we were already known for being a breakfast and dinner venue. So when we stopped doing breakfast, while we had certain customers that were annoyed at that, our dinner clientele didn't get affected. So we really were able to focus on that side of it and really push that without it affecting um without losing breakfast affecting dinner too much Mm. which was i guess a blessing because if we did it the other way around i think we would have struggled
0: quite a bit yeah for sure talk me through how you went through the mentality to then cut off breakfast because (laughs) um was it something in your head and jack's head for like months beforehand that it was like a gut feel of like what the hell are we doing here I don't think we should do this, but I don't really want to talk to Jack about it because there are other things in play, and I want you to talk about those other things in play. Um, or was it a, was it a case that you guys just had a it was a it was like a, something happened, the epiphany happened, and then you decided to change it. Like, how did it come to that conclusion?
1: A hundred percent. It was. Um, it was at first. It was a bit of a feeling because we. I guess we could both tell that we were both getting really short with each other. We were both kind of and because we were we were working so many hours um, you know I would come in cuz I I still do all the bookwork and all the payroll I would be like absolutely losing it at how many staff we had working being like you know we can't we can't afford this and I, and then I would be telling Jack while we we're in service all these things because we weren't sitting down and having the proper conversations and then he was getting upset with me and stress was just our stress level just kept going up and up and up and up and up and I guess we both kind of we tried so many different times to fix it, I guess, because you know once you, once once you've done a concept for for a few months anyway, it, it's it's like your own little baby and we really wanted to make it work. We tried we we changed the menu I think 3 or 4 times. We brought dedicated breakfast chefs on. We brought we 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 had a milk frother that was frothing all the milk. We upgraded all the all the equipment for the coffees to try and pump out the volumes we needed. And then I guess just, just one day we ended up going, right, well, we've got no money in the bank account. Let's go see the accountant and see how we can make this this feasible. Like he maybe he has some insights that we don't. So we went out to see our accountant um, and he basically sat us down and within two minutes had a look at our wage figure, our cost of goods and just said, what are you doing? With what... Like, he thought it was an insolvency meeting to be honest. Wow, <laughs> after looking at our books and um, he basically turned around and said, we need to cut this by, uh, you know, I think it was a third. Um, he said, your revenue' good, but your, your prime cost is out of control. Um, so we straight away after that meeting, you know, we, we talked to him and we said, well, we, if we cut this whole service, we're going to save, we broke down all the wages and we thought, you know, we're going to save 45% on our wage bill and we're only going to lose, I think it was 20, 22 or 23% of our revenue. Mm-hmm. So he said, yeah, do it. But what, what are you waiting for? Why haven't you done it already? Just, just get in there and cut it. So, you know, we made the decision. We went, we went around to a little cafe around the corner. Jumped on the phone, jumped on the laptop, started firing all the breakfast staff, basically repurposing where we could. But at, at that point, I think we had, you know, when we moved to the one concept, we had about 30 extra staff that we didn't need. And a lot of them juniors that had been working with us for the full year, which was which was a bit upset, we tried to repurpose them. But a lot of them, you know, you can't really move into a alcohol-fueled uh, bar for, for dinner service. Uh, that was quite hard, but I guess it was a decision that we had to make and we couldn't have held on for any longer than we did. Um, and looking back now it was it was a great move. you know we got we, we tried to keep the coffee machine for a, for a little bit, but we ended up getting rid of that, clearing the space for more cocktails and just really focusing on what we did well and what we do well, which is really nice cocktails, good food in a really nice casual environment.
0: Yeah right. Um, when we talked last month, I think you said to me that Jack's mum was involved in this project as well, right?
1: Yep, that that Emery also Gage made it
0: breakfast. Yeah, can we can we talk about that a bit? Like that that of is um, that is that is truly raw. Like to like, and we obviously on the podcast we talk to a lot of people uh, from family run businesses, right? Like where families involved, like to, especially with your business partner, like a guy who's a really good mate of yours then go and move on his mother like that, that is that is tragic that's really hard like how did you guys do that
1: uh, i guess it, it it came down to a lot of the a lot of the stress and the tension as well back before we we cut it was was directed around this because you know it's jack's mom came over from Wagga, she had a successful cafe over there so she came over to help us yeah. run start and you know to, to, to grow this breakfast side of the business and I it was it was difficult I still love her she's 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 great and we get along really well but I guess it was probably looking back it was a lot of it was we held on to that concept for for her and I guess I didn't push probably as hard as I should have because of that relationship um and yeah it was hard cuz we kind of had to fire her and repurpose her at the end of it and you know I kind of think back and think if that was my mum how would I feel and you know would I how would I have felt about about firing her yeah. um, but she, she completely understood you know once we once we laid it out and we put it there and um, she kind of did a few dinner shifts and then moved on and um, I think it was still it was, it was it was definitely hard and it definitely made us continue to linger with that breakfast concept for for way too long and I guess it would be I think for anyone who's got family and business and money, it gets messy, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, it's, um, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was hard. Sure. It was not um yeah. it was not the easiest day
0: for us. Mm. So you've um stripped the restaurant back, like you've gone back to two service periods. You know, seven days a week, obviously. I'd imagine six days, close well, Monday. Six days yeah. a week. Yeah. Yeah. What? How did it feel once you'd done that and you got some sort of clear clear runway to to go and focus on those two service periods six days a week? Did it feel good? A
1: uh, uh, breath of it, a breath of fresh air. It was, it was amazing. It, it only took, I think, uh, another couple of weeks for us to become profitable again, um, and we could really just focus all our energy and not having to, you know, not having to be there at five a.m. in the morning um, was was fantastic. Just having the restaurant shut for a while was great. It let us prep. It let us catch up, clean. Everything that we had kind of gone and been swept under the rug for the last year, we could pull out, dust it off and start working on it and again. All these concepts and ideas and, and that's... We really just, just kept evolving from that and just kept pushing and it only took us, yeah, I think it was three to four weeks before we had the place just absolutely humming and completely profitable again, which was really good.
0: Yeah, right. That's amazing, man. Um, so let's talk about like the biggest high that you guys have had since you've opened now you've obviously into two venues and that kind of stuff. But if you think about, you know, the biggest amazing thing that's happened with inside the group um, since you guys have opened the last five years, like what, what do you think it would be?
1: We've had, we've had a lot of ups and downs with the group, especially, you know, come, come COVID having to close and pivot the bi- the business um, model to a complete takeaway. But I guess probably the biggest high for me personally is well, a recent one was at our staff party. We, we we give our staff awards out. And this is the first time we've had both both venues together. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's about sixty odd people all in a room together, and we were giving out these staff awards and it it felt like a cult. It, it felt like what we'd created in a was a cult. Way. In, I mean, yeah, in a super <laughs> <Yeah>. positive way. <laughs> we've got the guys there chanting, everyone's screaming everyone's name, congratulating people. It was, I just, I think I turned to Jack and I'm like, we've, we've started a cult. This is, this is what they must feel like. This is great. Um, and that, he always had this concept, me, me being in hospitality, you know especially back in the nineties when staff would just, there was just no respect, especially for young chefs. Everyone got treated absolutely horribly. Um, and Jack always brought this idea into the business. of why don't we do things differently? Why don't we treat people with the respects uh, they deserve? And cause we, we know that, you know, we can't function without them. Let's make sure they know that. Um, and it kind of, it took me a while to kind of get on board with this concept, you know, but um Eventually, now it's led to this pass where we have a 95% staff retention. We wow. only lost two staff over COVID, and over the last two years, we've only lost three. And a lot of that is for them for staff progression. You know, we still have, a, I think it's a team of about six people who we still invite to the staff parties from back in the breakfast days. Um, right. We kind of have this relationship with the staff that we and our staff culture is is one that we I I think is a massive high for our for our business and it's it really gives me a lot of a lot of joy and a lot of respect for what Jack has brought to this side of the of the company um, we just we treat them like a priority and we really look after them and it's it's been the only way we've been able to open fresh water is by having this kind of cult following with our staff where people will pick up the slack and do what we ask them because we've always treated them that way. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think that's probably my biggest high in, in recently was at this staff party, but there's also like when we managed to get the funding for fresh water um, during COVID, during the lockdowns, writing out all our projections, giving them to the bank and trying to sell the dream of, of what we could create, <laughs> what we could make if they gave us this money. Um, and then getting the approval for all that whilst having a restaurant lockdown, was, was really cool. That was um, I think a testament to both me and Jack kind of pushing that, that through just, mm-hmm. just being able to grow from there. Um, and then of course it was probably the biggest high has still been opening Avalon from day one. You know, that was a massive dream of mine. My dad had his own business Growing up, and um, I think it was always something I, I think I knew I was going to achieve it, even if I wasn't successful. I think I—I I always wanted to give it a go, um, yep. and I think that was a massive—a massive thing for me, just opening those doors day one, and it's just opened up a whole world, right? It's—it's it's made everything becomes a lot easier after that first initial initial opening. Yeah, um, bit of a rinse and repeat kind of model. <laughs> we we try not to. Mm. um but it you know it it does become so much easier once you've done the systems once you've got it in place and you can see where the red flags come you can see what's going to happen before it happens when you know like we've already got our prime cost under control for the for, for fresh water after about six weeks we kind of had that well and truly sorted which if we could go back and do that for Avalon it would would be in a whole different different spot right now
0: yeah right Can I ask, um, in regards to the people stuff you talked about with Jack and what he brought to the table there, why did it, why do you think in reflection it took you a while to get on board with that? Did it, did it, was it just a case that maybe you were treated not the best um, when you started in your career? Like, I'm curious about how you were treated when you were started in your career. I think about how I was treated when I started in my career. Like, why did it take you a bit of time to get on board?
1: Yeah, I think I I was an apprentice back in the the nineties, Sean. It was none of us were treated very well. Pops thrown at your head, and you know I think I was getting paid two hundred and twenty dollars a week to do what seventy odd hours. Um, but I loved it, and I think it was it, it was just how the industry was, right? And if you really enjoyed cooking, that's kind of what you had to sacrifice was your Saturdays, your time off, um, the long hours, the the crappy work at the end, the the scrubbing and um, all for a pretty mediocre salary. Um, And I think it took me a while to get on board because I was, as we were still, as I was working there, you know, you're not paying yourself very much. And um, I'm there every day, seven days a week, working my ass off, trying to get this business off the ground. And then you've got people coming in and, and we're just offering them, you know, above award salaries and more money and, it took me it took me a little bit to get my head around the, the benefits behind that, and not just to see how it was like. You know, I, I kind of expected people to work as hard as I was. Sure. Um, and if I didn't see that, I didn't kind of, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it in my in my head why they deserve to be paid more. Um, but then, looking back now and looking at the benefit that it created is tenfold on anything that them working as hard as I would would have done to the business. Um and I think the industry's just changed. I think I think it's different now. I, I you know, there's there's a reason why we, we can't get young Australian chefs and we can't get, you know, people who think of hospitality as a career. And it's, you know, a lot of it comes back to that early 90s um painful despicion. like the, the way that the industry was was just not acceptable. It had to change. Um, you know, the sexism, the the way the kitchen was run, it was, and, I, and I'm really glad it has. And I hope to think that we're kind of a leader in that and that we bring something else to the table um, in terms of staff culture. Rather, I know everyone says they have a great staff culture, but I don't think many people have a 95% staff retention and I don't think in hospitality, <laughs> I don't think many people could turn around and say they're genuinely friends with a lot of their staff and I like to think that that's where the industry is going, and I think the more we can kind of do that, the more we can young Australians can look at hospitality as a career and a way to move forward, which is what we really need. You know, at the moment we've got three chefs coming over from Mexico who we've had to sponsor because we can't get we can't get anyone here, um, and it's not looking any better anytime soon.
0: Yeah, totally agree. What, what do you think? The industry needs to do better than Tim. Like um, what are you guys doing that you think other people in the industry could replicate um, other than, you know, obviously paying above award and having a obviously a really good work environment? Like is there anything else that you're sort of doing that is is polar opposites to what was happening when you were doing your apprenticeship?
1: I think giving people room to grow and room to move um, has been a big one for us. We kind of try to put the right people in the right positions to foster their internal growth and their growth within the company, which in turn really helps us and helps us profit. But I think it's, it's I think it's just an industry. It's, it's just a way of thinking. And I think the, you know, the owners out there who look at, look at the staff as just a number or just another a dollar sign. I think that's kind of, I think that's having to move away and people are having to, you know, really look at it, look at their staff and, treat them with the respect they deserve and then hopefully we can kind of move this into more of a career for a lot of people because there it's you know there's so many opportunities out there for hospitality and there's so many people I say who come through that are so suited to it but they think there's not a career in it. They think they should be going to university and doing doing this doing this course and then half the time they end up coming back and working for us anyway after their uni course. um, but that's a good question, Sean. I'll have to get back to you on some more <laughs> of that
0: one. Curious what some of the, you know, the secret things are. It's awesome because I think you must be pretty humbled. I'm sure Jack is as well. Um, the fact that if you look at if you look at your career, right, and you've obviously had an amazing career, but one was really, really challenging at the start. But you loved it, and you must have loved it for some reason—a person, a place you worked, all that kind of stuff. But then it took a, you know, a business um, partner to then change your mentality about how staff should be treated now moving forward and how it can go an extra mile to make sure that we retain as much staff as we can. And then humble to think that out of those 60 people, maybe five to eight of them are going to start their own venues. And because of the way that you, you guys have both treated them means that they're going to treat their staff that way and better and evolve it even more. Like that's a great thing rather than the opposite happening. Right. And we just get a lot of people who are just, you know disowned with the industry 100% so, mate yeah well let's let's move forward to the challenging times you guys have had um over the last couple of years i don't want to talk about covid too much but like i do want to talk about how you both have looked at the support model right because you've got you know you've got a couple of kids um and all that kind of stuff as well like that's a balance to have um now two businesses open um A business partner young family all those kind of things like who do you lean on for support how do you get support for yourself of course family massive supporter
1: um especially my wife she's she's always been fantastic because i've kind of chased this hospitality dream um looking after the kids you know um even just looking after the household especially in those first few years she was she was amazing um my mother-in-law, she's she's been she's quite a well-known CEO, and um, she's while this isn't her industry, she's always been a really good kind of tool for me to use to bounce ideas off, or just to make sure I'm making sense before I actually come out with the idea, and even just for peace of mind. I think during lockdown, she called me every single day to make sure that I was okay. Firstly, and then, what am I doing? How am I going to change this and make it work in our favor? Uh, which has been really good, but I think just having a business partner really helps, right? Um, I don't think I could do this by myself. I don't think I would really want to. it's it makes it, it is just like another marriage and it, it 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 means that you have someone to help you through those difficult decisions and those difficult times. You don't have to make them by by yourself and you can play ideas off them and even if you think something sounds, completely bonkers you can play it off your your business partner who might twist it say it back to you and you're like oh that's a that's a great idea why didn't i think of that yeah Um, and i think that that whole model is a really important one for hospitality i think it's there's so much to do you know you have to be you have to be everything to everybody in this industry and if you have someone else who you can lean on in those kind of times
0: it's it's for the best really cool so let's end on like you know you've got two cracking venues now, they're both going really really well. Um, is there an aspiration to grow more venues in the network and then create you know more Mexican concepts or what are you guys thinking of next?
1: Since opening Freshwater, the the waterworks have opened almost. It's um we've we've had to kind of take a step back and really get some good advice from a few people recently just just chatting to other business owners and other people in the industry who have kind of done the same thing as us who who have have progressed to say the you know the five venues 10 venues 15 venues and how they've done the scaling because getting to two was was one thing but but now as we as we continue to scale it's which kind of path do we want to take and how do we want to bring other people into the business do we need to bring other people into the business um all those kind of things, and I guess we don't want to kind of use the you know the cookie cutter method with our venues, even in terms of you know Avalon was always we we designed that to be a bit of an institution somewhere that's going to be there forever, and Freshwater was kind of progre- a progression of the brand into a more upscale diner, kind of showing where we'd gone for the last four years. So I guess it would a lot of it's going to be depend on the location we can find and even if a, an Alma might not work there, it might be some sort of progression from that brand or it might be a completely new concept depending on, on what is needed in that space. Um, you know, we're kind of, at the moment, we're kind of looking north and south of Sydney um, and just kind of playing out a few ideas, not rushing into anything, but we've kind of decided that the more we can talk to people and the more information we can get, the more we can make an informed decision about how we're going to structure moving forward um but it's yeah we have kind of got this the ball rolling now and we really want to play on that momentum but we also just wanted to take a little bit of a step back and make sure we're getting good advice talking to the right people and kind of not 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 doing it just for the sake of opening another venue
0: yeah absolutely. I think in a lot of venues that I've been a part of, a lot of brands I've been a part of, like that third venue like is really, really critical to like the brand success. like and I know you guys are going to take it to another level because you've got the fundamentals right, like you know you care about your people, you understand it. it sounds like you're at a point now, Tim, like with the third venue, you want to think about location first, more than concept, and build the concept around that location rather than the concept uh, rather than the location around that concept, am I right? 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah yep. that's a really positive way to be right like that's really really cool
1: <laughs> I think you have to I think if you're trying to force something into a you know a, a square into a round hole it's not going to work or it might work to a degree but it's not going to be what you want it to be and I don't think we would be happy doing that to even to the, to the brand right to if if, if it's not going to work we can come up with a different concept or play on the same concept and make it work for the people and the location that we find um but, yeah, it's all it's all quite exciting moving forward, Sean.
0: Mate, can't wait to see what you guys are going to do next, mate. Um, I really appreciate your time today, Tim. Like, and I know people are going to want to reach out. and I spe- oh, I reckon there are going to be some people going to re- want to reach out and work for you guys. <laughs> so what is the best way that people can find out more about Alma Group?
1: The best is to uh, head to our website, almagroup.com.au or hit me up at Tim at Alma Group or
0: Jack. Uh, jack at um and we'll get back to you straight away. Awesome. It's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast so you can reach out to Tim and Alma. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Sean. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning to another episode of Raw. brought to you by Lightspeed and the Poe Network. We hope you really enjoyed the episode and we'd love to you to leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends in the industry it would mean a lot to us and we'd love to hear your feedback on this series to find out more about lightspeed and how they can ignite your business in hospitality you can find them at lightspeedhq.com.au thanks so much for tuning to another episode and until next time stay well everyone Aussies love discovering new restaurants, and Open Table is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform, with more than one million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guests booking on Open Table spend 49% more than walk-ins. Open Table's world-class table management technology ensures your seats are optimized front of house to seat more diners, saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. OpenTable's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first-time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local OpenTable restaurant expert to learn more. OpenTable, empowering restaurants to do what they do best.